We have our scripture lesson, these uh, well-known words from the Gospel of Luke that are printed in your bulletins. And um, let us read them together. And as we do, just a couple of, of reading notes uh, so you don't have to stumble over some, some words. Uh, comes to Quirinius being the governor of Syria. Um, and that's a tough one sometimes because it's in, it's in a, it is a different language. So it's Quirinius. And then the other one, people stumble over a lot is uh, it's not swaddling clothes, it's swaddling cloths. They were strips of cloth and they wrapped the baby in cloth and so it was not an outfit. Um, that's what that was. So let's join together in these words. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be enrolled, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to be delivered, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And now may God bless our understanding and our living of this word of abundant life. Amen. So there's something I've been thinking about uh, lately for some odd reason, and that is kind of an odd question that we ask uh, and that we answer all the time, and that question is, how are you? And I think about that because I say, you know, I've been thinking in my mind, like, compared to what? Right? <laughs> how are you? I don't know. If I were sitting on a beach somewhere compared to that, being perfectly healthy and well-rested, or, uh, you know, if I have some upcoming surgery, or I just came out of surgery, is how am I, is it, uh, how am I doing the part that I have to go to surgery, or is it the part where I thank God that I'm living at a time where I can have surgery? And if I had cancer, and I talk with a lot of people who have cancer, is, it, is the how am I doing part the part about having cancer or that they can treat it? I, I talk with a lot of people who have terminal cancel, cancer and, and we get in these conversations of how bizarre it is sometimes the things you can be thankful for at different times in your life. By, and, and I talk with people with terminal cancer who are thankful because the results at the moment are better than hoped for. And that becomes genuinely happy. It's a wonderful time. So how are you? How are you? And compared to what? I'll tell you what got me thinking about this is that I was talking with a, a woman uh, just recently, um, not a church member, but we got in this conversation and she said, you know, this year, this year I, I want to feel the Christmas spirit. 
She said, you know, I don't feel like I've had that for the last few years. And I thought, that's kind of strange. You know, because from the outside, you know, she seems like a, she's a very spirited and optimistic person, which I think she generally is, and, and extremely blessed. Health, wealth, beauty, comfort, you know. But obviously something is missing, right? And it wasn't something that you could purchase or possess. It was non-material. You know, and her life had actually taken off so much that in these last few years, she rarely had, things were so good, she rarely had time to be part of her church family. She had new friends, she had new lifestyles, she had all the stuff and having to take time to take care of all the stuff. And in her own words, though, she said she didn't have the spirit. So what gives you the spirit of Christmas? What's the substance? How are you doing? So I'm thinking about that, and then I started thinking about a church member who is no longer with us, but Man, when he was alive, he was just an incredibly active part of our missions program. And, and some of you remember him. His name was George Vadas. And George made a huge impression on me. Because here was a man who, who lived a good, but he lived a modest life. He was not in finance. Or if you're making more money, I guess it's finance. So there's finance and then there's finance. <laughs> he was a great person and, and uh, I think he worked in a machine shop or something like that. After he retired though, his employer misused the company's retirement. Hmm. Lost everybody's retirement money. He did everything right, but it was all gone. But you know what? Somehow, George remained an incredibly positive, he remained an incredibly warm person, loving person, and he was modest. But he was very generous. He gave to, to our work at the church and, and helping the people who we help. And he contributed all sorts of time. He would drive homeless people and people who are in need from our organizations, he would drive them around and help them to get clothes and help them to get food and drive, help drive them to interviews for jobs or to get housing. And George always said to me, and said to many people, he said, you know what, Paul? A lot of people have it worse off than I do. And my God, he was downright cheery. And then in his 70s, I think it was in his 70s, he developed some leg problems. 
And it made, him it, made it tough to, to walk and to get around. But you know what? He kept serving people. Because that's who he was and that's what he did. And he kept giving generously to the church, helping the people that we help. And I bet he he must have said to me, it seemed like about a hundred times, Paul, a lot of people have it a lot worse than I do. And then his leg problems got worse. And they turn into a big problem. And bottom line is, he had to have one of his legs amputated. And we talked about that, going into the surgery and the decision. And I was saying, you know, this is going to be rough. This is a, this is a big deal. And, you know, you're an incredibly positive guy, but, you know, this is more than a bump in the road. And he said, you know, Paul, a lot of people have it a lot worse off than I do. And then he said, you know, there were guys in their 20s and 30s who fought in the Korean War. He fought in the Korean War. He said, guys in their 20s and 30s who lost both of their legs. He says, I've, I've had mine for 70 years. And I thought, you know, that's a great spirit to have when you're going into surgery. But there's going to be a fall sometime. After surgery, I walked into his room. His leg is not there. There's a space. And I said, this is a big stuff, George. I said, how are you? <laughs> See? And he says, I'm fine. I'm fine, Paul. He goes, yeah, how about you? How are the kids? <laughs> and I said, you know, I'm fine, kids are fine. I said, but I'm here to talk about you, right? And so he thinks and he reaches down and he actually pats the space where his leg used to be. And he thinks about it. And he says, I'm okay. And he goes through the Korean War thing again. Men in their 20s. And he goes through, again, thank God for the 70 years that he did have his leg. And I thought, my God, what does this guy have? And after that, I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. This cannot last. But you know what? The shoe never dropped. It didn't through that. It didn't through his congestive heart failure. It didn't through him having to have oxygen. Not through the infections that he got. Not through his heart attack. Not through the, the surgery that he had after his heart attack. People ask, how do you get the Christmas spirit? I think you find it that way. Because that's the way that, that Mary had the Christmas spirit. You find it that way, right in the midst of the manger, where Christ and his spirit literally came to life, right in the midst of the manger.
It came to life with everything that led up to that and with everything that followed. Because nearly everything that we can think of when it comes to the Christmas spirit, the grace, the blessing, the comfort, the beauty, the joy, the peace, the glow around Christmas, it all has to do with how Mary and with how Jesus subsequently throughout his whole life lived the question of how are you? And he did that, and Mary did that in some very challenging times. And you look at what they focused on and what they didn't focus on. Some of you have heard me talk about the manger scene before. I intentionally go back, I'm intentionally going back to it today. I intentionally go back to it in my life because it contains one of the greatest secrets of how to build and maintain a wonderful life. And I think about this all the time. I think about it throughout the year. And it gives me strength and it gives me peace and it gives me wonderful direction. And it makes me think about what's really important in life. What to focus on and what not to focus on. So let's cut to the manger scene. We have this manger that I brought in. It's usually in our house in our narthex. It's um, Laura's grandmother made it. And her grandfather made the, the setting there. And I love it. I look at that. We set that up. And to me, it looks so darn cozy. I just want to crawl in. It does, right? I just, want, I just want to be a part of it. It's like safe. It's snuggly. It's warm. It's serene. Oh, I want to be in that calm space. I love, I love the way it sounds even in the words of Scripture. I listen to these words and I read them. And I'm like, ah, beautiful. But what I realized a number of years ago is that that manger <laughs> is a lot more about messes and crises than beauty. And then I think, well, why don't we think about, you know, when we look at the manger and we think about it, why don't we think about the messes and the crises? But instead we focus on the beauty, the serenity, the peace. Why? Because Mary, giving birth to Christ in the midst of all the trouble, focused on Christ and not the chaos. She had such a laser focus that it was only on the love, it was only on the grace, it was only on the blessing. And there was plenty to choose from in terms of what to focus on. What was actually going on, she chose to focus on that, but what was going on was really, it was dangerous. It was unpleasant. It was, it was a frightening experience. You know, we think of it as a warm glow and it's because of how she transformed that crisis from tragedy into grace with her faith. And that's the manger scene. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. And this was the first enrollment. And all went to be enrolled, each to his own city. 
you know, Mary and Joseph, they're just trying to have, they're just trying to get through life, have a normal life, difficult circumstances. Everybody had difficult circumstances then, but they were especially poor. And the government has power over them. You know, the government had power over everyone. They were living in occupied territory. They were, the Romans were occupying their land, the Palestinian territory. Caesar wants a census, so, so what does that mean? Everybody stops their life. Everybody has, you have to leave what you're doing, you have to leave your job. Poor people who are barely making it, they have to stop making money. Leave your job, leave income, then they have to travel to the place where they were born. They have to finance their trip. They have to make the arrangements for lodging. Their lives and everything gets turned upside down, and it's a time of a turmoil. Why for Caesar Augustus? But then Mary, in the midst of all this, is at least eight months pregnant. They don't have car service. They don't, you can't get a, you're not going to get a waiver from Caesar Augustus. So it means you have to travel by foot or by donkey. And which is worse when you're eight months pregnant? <laughs> a couple of weeks ago in Israel, it was 89 degrees. It's 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem over difficult terrain. So have you ever, even in your optimal times of health, have you ever taken a 90-mile hike? Ever? Over a week? How about while eight months pregnant? Now, the interesting thing is, isn't it interesting that we don't hear a word about the difficulty, do we? We don't hear a word about the harsh conditions, the temperature, how uncomfortable the sleeping was, can't bring enough water. There's no woe is me, there's just grace. And then Mary and Joseph, then they, then they make it to Bethlehem. And not surprisingly, everybody else beat them to it because it's not hard to beat an eight-month pregnant person. Accommodations are filled. No place to stay. Still no complaining. <laughs> because the drama for Mary and for our faith, the drama is not the centerpiece. So they stay in the place where the animals live. Ah, the manger. We think how beautiful and charming. How are you doing? Have you ever stayed on the floor of a working barn? Much less given birth in a working barn? The pungence of sheep and all that goes with it. The pungence of cows and all that goes with that. Goats, rodents, of course, and everything mixed with that. Bacteria, smoke from the oil lamps. <laughs> and giving birth back then, it was frightening stuff, you know. No doctors, no anesthetic. No sutures, no pediatric ICU, just in case. You know, about 30% of infants back then didn't make it through their first year. 
You think that they didn't think about that? A mother had a one in 20 chance every time she gave birth of not making it. And then we know that right after Christ was born, shortly after Mary and Joseph, Jesus, they had to flee for their lives to Egypt. Why? Because Herod is paranoid. He kills all the babies in Bethlehem. And he's hunting down Jesus and his family. And so they flee as political refugees. They leave everything behind, penniless, homeless, hunted. And as we know, that was just the beginning. This is really the tip of the iceberg. So why does it feel so warm and cozy? Why does the manger fill my heart with peace and comfort and a spiritual glow with nothing that money can buy? Because that's what it's about. Nothing that money can buy. Faith made it that way. By focusing on Christ and not the chaos or the drama. It was into that scene and the way it was handled that literally, literally our faith was born. And what our faith says is we focus on what we choose to focus on. And we make of it what we make of it. And we do so this Christmas, and now, and forevermore. May the manger continue to be my guide, and I offer it to be your guide. And regardless of what the world throws at you, may you have a loving and very blessed Christmas and life. Now, and forevermore. Merry Christmas. Thank you. God bless you.